The show that takes you home. The Homestretch with Sterling Holmes on ESPN Kansas City. 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Welcome to the Home Stretch, ESPN Kansas City, live on. It was a beautiful Tuesday. It turned into a rainy Tuesday. But I can't complain, right? Because it's October 24th and I'm not absolutely bundled up. We got Dylan Michaels behind the glass looking like a lumberjack. What part of uh, Portland are you from? The, hip, uh, the hippie part or the downtown area? Downtown, the hippie mm-hmm. part. I, yeah, that's what I figured. I didn't know if you were a uh, actual lumberjack or the hippie wannabe lumberjack type, but uh, I'm right in, right in between. Like I've never actually chopped a tree down, but I feel like I could. So I think you could, but that's also in relation to either you or me. And I don't think I'm taking a tree down. Don't think so. You, on the other hand, look like you have the. The traits, if you will. Like, if we're doing a combine, if this is the NFL combine, but for tree cutting, for lumberjacking, I've it's got all the, you. Uh, the frame. You got the frame for it. You got you got the want to. I'm just undersized. But I'll tell you what. First one in, last one out. Bring bring my, my lunch pail to work type of guy. Mustache. Mustache. Well, the mustache makes it at least competitive. At least competitive. How you doing, man? I feel like we haven't done a, a show together in a while. It's been a minute. I mean, it's definitely been a minute since we've done consecutive shows because we had a lot of baseball to get to, a lot of uh, high school football, things like that. So, and quite frankly, on this station. Thursday and Friday, I don't think I'm going to be here. That's on me. At least we get tomorrow. Friday, I got a golf tournament. Thursday, I have an uh, interview with Raheem Mostart, which I believe will be happening during this show, and, well, can't do a live. Can't do two. Surprisingly, Dylan, I can't do two things at once. As much as I would like to, I cannot. Uh, we will uh, hear from Javon Curse. I had a chance to interview Javon Curse. Uh, Who do on you think you are? Yesterday. Kelsey, I am. Doing two things at once. <laughs> well, home is my auto, baby. I had a chance to sit down and interview Javon Curse. That was a lot of fun, so we'll hear from him uh, later on in this show. The freak, dude. I can't believe that. He was 6'5", 265, and ran a 4'4", 3. Imagine being a quarterback. No thank you. Uh, So we'll hear from him later on in this show. Uh, A little news, if you will. Not fun news, but I'm going to read this verbatim from ESPN because I'm not going to give any thoughts on this yet until we get more information coming out. But Chiefs' Justin Ross charged with domestic battery and property damage. This is on ESPN. Adam Teicher is the one that put up this little article here. Uh, Justin Ross has been charged with domestic battery and criminal property damage of less than $1,000. Court records in Johnson County, Kansas show. Both of these charges are now misdemeanors. Ross was arrested Monday in Shawnee, Kansas. Uh, An arraignment has been set for Tuesday afternoon. The Kansas domestic battery charge that Ross is facing is defined as knowingly causing physical contact with a person with whom the offender is involved or has been involved in a dating relationship or a family or household member when done in a rude, insulting, or angry manner. End quote. The items in the property damage charge, according to the Shawnee police, include a laptop, 
a computer monitor, an iPhone, a gold bracelet, and a car key. He originally had been facing a felony charge with damage uh, damage value exceeding a thousand, but has since been amended to a misdemeanor of a value of less than a thousand dollars. Chiefs said they are aware, but no comment. All right. Moving on. Before we talk more Chiefs, before we talk Javon Curse, let's talk a little baseball. I think everyone's happy right now because the Astros are going home. Texas Rangers, they win in Houston 11-4, to winning Game 7. I just can't, can't talk enough about Adoles Garcia. This is a dude who no one wanted. This was a guy who, 26 years old, finally got a tryout. And what's he do now that he's 30? Oh, yeah, has 20 RBIs already this playoffs. Hit a grand slam uh, on Sunday's game. And then, of course, last night, uh, four for five, two home runs, and five RBIs, all, all while playing uh, some gold glove defense out there in right field. Rangers... All that offseason spending, all the building over the past couple seasons, bringing in guys like Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, uh, you know, Mitch Garver to an extent, uh, Nathaniel Lowe, right? Uh, then you have the young guns, Leona Tavares, Josh Young, Jonah Heim, Evan Carter. They're getting it done, and some of the pitchers have really paid off well, while Max Scherzer, obviously the trade deadline piece, not been ideal, and Aralis Chapman has been... Um, well, pre-Royals, Araldis, Cha- Araldis Chapman was fixed by the Kansas City Royals, then goes to the uh, Rangers and reverts back to what he was last year. It's wild to me. The Royals fixed him, and the Rangers broke him. But guys like Jordan Montgomery, I mean, let's be real now. If you would have said Jordan Montgomery would be the best pitcher for the Rangers when they have guys like Scherzer and DeGrom on their team, Evaldi, You'd say it's asinine. You'd say it's crazy. But Jordan Montgomery has been absolutely nails for the Texas Rangers. Oh, by the way, the Rangers have never, never won a World Series. I know Dylan back there is very excited because he's now rooting for the Rangers. I didn't know he was a Texas guy. I thought you were a Portland guy. Uh, As Rodney so eloquently, eloquently, wow, put it in the chat. Anything, any team playing the Astros, doesn't matter who, I will be cheering for that team. So, and also I like Bochi. I, I kind of do like Bruce Bochi, and the fact that he comes out of retirement and just picks right up where he left off with the San Francisco, uh, almost at Forty Nine ers, Giants. Yeah, just mowing through the playoffs as a probably not the favorite wild card team ish, and I. They've never won one in their history. They last went to one, was it 2011, when Nelson and Cruz right. had the opportunity to right. make the catch in right field. I feel bad. It's, cause a, I mean, t- it's a tough catch. It's a tough catch. Let's be Especially real now. for Nelson for Cruz. For Nelson Cruz. We're, we're not talking about a uh, Alex Gordon in left, okay? We're not talking about Kevin Kiermeyer in center. We're talking Nelson Cruz in right field. And the reason he was playing right was because at, at that point, Vladimir Guerrero had no knees. <laughs> Wasn't Guerrero on that team, if I'm not mistaken? 
Oh no, that's fine, Dylan. Don't don't answer. I was I wasn't trying to get any information from you. I apologize. I am uh, making audio. What what was that? Oh, uh, that was twenty ten. 2010. That's what I thought. And so and then he was in Baltimore in 2011, which, by the way, his I, final year in the majors, he batted 290. Who was in the World Series in 2011? Does it say? Well, it should have the Rangers. Uh, Rangers lost in the World Series to the Cardinals. That's right. 4-3. That, that was... Um, Giants, Rangers, and Cardinals. David Fries. Giants. It's funny. It's crazy. Think about that. Bochy uh, denied them once. Yeah. As a Giants manager. Yeah. David Fries. Have you seen Bruce Bochy on the podium He's comparing great. height and size to like all the other players basically that are professional athletes Mm-mm. and he makes them look like a 13U team? He's a big dude. Bochy is? Yes. It's like the two people who are standing out on that podium last night are Chris Young and Bruce Bochy. Then everyone else oh, is Oh, well, and Chris Young's 6'10". No, Chris, yeah, Chris Young's huge, but Bochy's not much shorter. Uh, apparently, when I typed in Chris Bochy, like his size, he has an Eight and an eighth inch dome. Yeah, he's. I'm telling you, dude. Dude, you know how big of a head that, that's. Barry Bonds allegedly on roids big. He's six three. That's a big dude. I can't get over that head size. To put it in perspective, I'm seven in an eighth. He's eight in an eighth. That is a large cranium. Tonight, game seven. Arizona and the Phillies. I am shocked it has gone this far. I talked to Jeff Passan on Thursday, last Thursday, and we both said, you know what? You almost never pick sweeps in baseball because, well, these are two good teams. Margins are not that, or margins are slim in baseball. And in a seven-game series, you expect a team who's got this far to win a game, right? You You have an off day. They get hot for a game. All right, it is what it is. But we both said, you know what? We think the Phillies are going to sweep Arizona. At that point, they were up 2 nothing. Game three was that night. We thought it's over. It ain't over. Three games apiece. Love seeing yet another game seven in the baseball playoffs. Does it worry you? And I'm a Phillies guy, too. I don't care who wins. I feel like I can root for any team left because none of them are the Astros or the Yankees. But... Does it worry you how many times you guys have had an opportunity to end the series? The Phillies have had many a chance. Had a chance last night. Didn't do it. Got shelled. It wasn't even close last night. There was no, there was wins out of the sails very, very early. Um, it's Ranger Suarez tonight who's been electric. 14 innings in the playoffs. .64 ERA. Is that good, Dylan? Has he done it at home? I feel like this guy, I always watch Ranger on the road and he's nails, but is he one of those better away than home guys? or has he? Pl- I, Could be. Look. Citizens Bank Park is a hitter's ballpark. Um, I'm trying to think of the game where I was shocked to see the Diamondbacks had come back and won late. Was it well, five? It, any, any game Craig uh, uh, Kimbrell's been in? Yes, it was that. <laughs> Craig Kimbrell's blown two games already this, this series. So that's it. Craig Kimbrell is is buns, dude. That dude is cheeks. He is washed up. You think Russell Wilson's washed up? Look at Craig Kimbrell. I mean, seriously. The fact that he's ever pitched in a high-leverage situation is absurd. Now, I get it. You can't throw out uh, Jose Alvarado every single game. I get all that stuff. Anyone else? I Pick a fan. 
Have Alec Bohm come in from third base to pitch instead of Craig Kimbrell. Anyone besides Kimbrell. It'll be Ranger Suarez against Brandon Fatt tonight, who's also been very good for the Diamondbacks. 2.13 ERA in the playoffs, 12 and two-thirds innings, 15 strikeouts. Um, to me, the X factor is Kyle Schwarber. For the Phillies and then for the uh, Diamondbacks, it has to be Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte has been on an absolute tear. Uh, he is 17 for 43 with four doubles, a triple, and a home run over his past 10 games in the playoffs. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Kyle Schwarber has been absolutely raking. Um, all he does is hit bombs, dude. Kyle Schwarber is Babe Ruth in the playoffs. He even runs like him. I don't know if you saw the video of him running from first to third. It literally looks like Babe Ruth. He is the most unathletic runner I've ever seen in my entire life. Doesn't matter when you drop bombs three or four times a series. All right, I got the Phillies at home tonight. Arizona, congratulations getting this far. But I think the the Cinderella story ends here. What do you think, Dylan? I I want the Phillies to win. I do wow, like, you think you're you got you got money to spend tonight? Let's let's just say you got five dollars to, to to put on a team. Who I you know, put? I, and I bet against my heart, so I win either way. That's kind of my betting mindset in situations like this, where I don't want to. It's already exciting enough. It's Game Seven. You really don't have to put money on it. Like in my rule is like, if you want to make something exciting, throw some money on it a little bit. Sure. Type of deal. So I don't really have to throw money, but if I do. I, I just feel like the Diamondbacks because you like you said like Kimbrel, you had chances to put him. It, it, he's so, he's big so bad, man. To put him, if you win one of those games, it's over, obviously. But you know, it, it's kind of that that feel to it. The Phillies bullpen makes me so nervous. They need to get up big. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. And stay up big. Mm-hmm. Ranger Suarez needs to go five-plus innings at a minimum because I do not trust the Phillies' bullpen at all. Uh, switching gears, talking a little NFL. Uh, Tennessee Titans say they might play both Will Levis and Malik Willis if Ryan Tannehill is out. Good play here. <laughs> This is the first time I've heard Will Levis's name since draft night, so good for him. Is this a case of Malik Willis has impressed? Or this is why Will Levis fell to the second round and was not a top 10, top 15, first round. He was a second-round quarterback for a reason. Mm. Because seriously, everyone was thinking, at least not everyone, I was not one because I watched him play in person before at Kentucky and did not think he was very good. Oh, have to do. Sorry, uh, I knew he wasn't good when you could look at his yards per attempt. Yeah, and they were very low against good. Someone said that Bill Walsh, siren, everything you need to say. Here comes Dylan's '80s Niners talk. But one of the ways to see if a quarterback is confident and can handle NFL speed is does his yards per attempt go up in bigger games like against Bama or Georgia? Sure. Or does it go down? Meaning, is he checking it down? Is it behind the line of scrimmage throws? Is he not confident in pushing the ball down the field? And if you look at Will Levis's games against any competition, it's 
much lower than the games where Kentucky was favored. I'm just a little confused about using both. I don't know. Maybe it's a ploy. Maybe okay. maybe it's a ploy, and and they'll when it starts, they'll play one. But this isn't college. No, and there's a litany of examples in NFL history of using two quarterbacks is just not the way to do it. It doesn't work. That college fine NFL because and a lot of the stories and a lot of the things you hear when when they are going through these trying times, like Tom Landry used two quarterbacks, mm-hmm. uh, Craig Morton and Roger Staubach. Yeah, and he, I mean, history shows he chose Roger. And said, I have to do this because they were, you know, players were saying, we don't know who to follow. Yes. Like, there's no, we need a guy that we can follow as a team, as a defense, as special. Every other position looks to one guy. We don't need two guys. That's why the old adage is if you have two quarterbacks, you really don't have one type of thing. I think it works in college football to an extent, honestly. But the NFL is just a different. Chris Leak, Tim Tebow. I mean, just, we can start the list there and go. I mean, honestly, I also think. Relatively new, obviously, K State, Avery Johnson, and Will Howard. I think they both bring something to the table. I think Will Howard has leadership. He's been there. He, he, they've followed him. I think he's got a decent arm, but he's been struggling this year. I think Avery Johnson, the new blood, right? You you inject that into the offense, the speed, the arm strength. Like sometimes in college, it works. I just don't think it does in the NFL. And again, this all might be a ploy. If it were me, you drafted Will Levis in the second round, see him for a game. You've seen Malik Willis before in a game, and if I'm not mistaken, that they chose Josh Dobbs one game over him, or was or was he injured? No, you're right. But I thought that was they chose the game they needed to win. They needed to a win to the playoffs, and they chose Josh Dobbs yep. over Malik Willis. Was that against the Chiefs? No, it wasn't against the Chiefs. Jags. Jags, yeah. But my point stands is if you didn't trust him, then why not try and see a full game out of Will? Uh, maybe because both aren't the guy. Uh, Rams release kicker Brett Meyer after three missed kicks in loss. That uh, breaking news also lost Sterling his fantasy football game. Yeah, I lost fantasy football because of a kicker. I, I get no one cares about fantasy football or your golf score, but you're going to hear it because that sucks. You lose fantasy football because of a kicker? And I'm a guy who never wants to see kickers or defense in fantasy football because I think it's just a little silly, Right? Dylan, maybe I'm on a limb here. I don't want to see kickers or, 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 or defenses in fantasy football. Drives me insane. And, of course, it comes to roost, my worst nightmare. This happens. Jordan Addison goes off for, what, two touchdowns and 110 yards. And one of them one of them should not have even happened. Yeah. You, you, do you understand me sitting on my couch irate? I do now. Like I can imagine. I, it's funny because I was thinking, boy, that would be a tough dude. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm sitting pretty. Everything's going great, barring Jordan Addison going off. My kicker being a dumpster fire won't matter. Little do I know. Jordan Addison turned into Randy Moss, and I lose. But you know, what, you know what you do in that situation, Dylan? You bet on him. That way you can't be that upset. That's what I did, and it worked out. All right, we will take a quick break. We're going to come back, and I'll play my interview I did with Javon Curse, Homestretch, ESPN, Kansas City.
Um, we lost by one point. Come on. Listen, it was exciting. We gave the people what they wanted. We couldn't go out there and just beat somebody down. And then just all of a sudden, like, oh, these guys, you stacked, you guys stacked, the, stacked the, the deck or whatever. Like, no, we came in to have some fun, and they ended up winning. But we gave the fans what they wanted. Uh, who were your teammates? Who were the teammates and opponents you're going up against? I mean, well, it was me and then I teamed up my former my former Gator, Titus O'Neill. Well, actually, he was that it was Thaddeus Bullet back then. And I don't know why he changed his name to uh, Titus O'Neill. I've got to begin. Uh, who was um, Don Staley and Zaya 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 Cook, like Good. with the um, WNBA or whatever. And um, you know, like they, I think it was built up for them the an unhinged thing. And done. I saw that Dunn played in a few a few tournaments before already, like on television, like for Justinville. So she already had some good practice, but it was good. It was good. We had fun, and it, it went down to the to the last to the last bag. <laughs> I want to talk about how you started off your career. You had 35 sacks in your first three seasons, obviously winning Rookie of the Year. But some players have such a hard time transitioning to the NFL. How were you able to make it so seamless? Um, I'm thinking maybe because I had a really good position coach. Um, he, he kind of made things like easier for me, a, a lot less thinking, really just, um, and then we got together as soon as I got in because I played, I played outside linebacker, stem linebacker at Florida. And the only time that I really ran to the quarterback was I was like standing up, standing in like a four three, but just standing up, but not getting that defensive end stance, which. I'm glad I did when I got to the league because me getting in that sprinter stance was the best thing for me because it, it helped keep me low and it, it got me in a, in a good position to go straight on a straight pass to the quarterback. So, I, I mean, the, the, the transition from, from coming in, my, my rookie year was just like, I'm like, hold on. I'm like, this is what me to do. I'm, I'm used to standing in front of the, the, the tight end, you know, trying to take him on. Is he blocking? Is he releasing? Oh, he's releasing. Oh, shoot. Am I blitzing this play? I don't know. Am I covering this play or whatever? But when I move the defensive end, it's like line up there, pick up, pick up aiming point, and go go hit that spot. And if someone on that spot, when you hit it, hit them. If not, keep on going and then go hit the person with the ball. And, I mean, it, it, it wasn't that simple, but that's what I simplified it down to. Uh, I'm going to talk about a game that you actually had a safety in, and that's part of one of the craziest endings in NFL history, the Music City Miracle. I'd love to hear your thoughts and just your perspective, your vantage point on this game. Uh, that one right there, um, I would say that was one of the first situations to where, like, you ever see this cliche, oh, football's a game of inches. Well, no no shoot is a game of inches, okay? You have all these feet and yards out there, whatever. Inch and centimeters are going to be a part of the game, but that game right there was that going into that music. First of all, um, I'm a huge Bruce Smith fan. And then going to that game, I was um, looking forward like, to seeing him and meet him and then watch him play or whatever. And he actually ended up getting, I think, he got maybe two sacks against us, and I got me two sacks, two cross bumps in the safety or whatever, so that part right there felt good. You know, me felt like I was kind of going up, up against one of my idols. So that part right there was good. And then the play, the play at the end, this play called the Music City. It was uh, the Music City Miracle, but that play was the home run throwback. We practiced that play so many times in practice. And it looked like, oh, man, we just wasting our time. Guys just 
run over to the side and then throw the ball back and then somebody catches it and then do something else and whatever. Like, uh, this would never work, but okay, let's practice it. And then when we got in that game and did it, that throw across the field from Frankie Wachek to Kevin Dyson, listen here. Football is a game of inches. I had this conversation again, like it's football season. I don't know why I have some conversations like so often, but had some more conversations about was it a lateral or was it a back or that was a four lateral. I'm like, it wasn't a four lateral. If anything, it was a lateral close to a backwards lateral or whatever, which was legit because um, still to this day, you got Bill fans who still call it a forward lateral. But I'm like, you got, at this point, you just gotta let you got you gotta let it go. At this point, like it like it's, it's way behind us. It is what it, it it is what it is. Okay, but um, that was a, another one of those situations like that game there, and then it just said just so much. I mean, like the way that game like started, the way it ended, because like we was. I felt like we was up for a second, and then they got up. It was no more time left, and it just yes, that one game all in itself, football game of inches. Um, it's not over until it's over. Sixteen seconds left for me to come and do that. So it just pretty much just it it kind of it kind of I want to say made a whole bunch of cliches like cliches like sound true, like sound real or whatever. And like you hear this stuff all the time, whatever. So not over to the fat lady thing, and the fat lady wasn't ready until we came out with the W. So a lot of good things came out of that game. A lot of great memories. I, I, I know they looked back, and they actually did an analyst viewpoint of was it forward or backwards, and you're correct. They said it was not a forward lateral. It was legit. So you're all good. Bill's fans got to calm down. But as I sit here in Kansas City, we're obviously very fond of Andy Reid being here in Chiefs Kingdom. You played under Andy Reid for a few seasons. What was your relationship like with Andy? What was it like having him as your head coach? That was my guy. Um, that was my guy. I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately, only played for two different coaches in the league. Eleven years, two different coaches, Jeff Fisher and Andy Reid. Um, I got to be real with you. Um, Andy Reid was that was that dude. Was that dude like uh, I don't know, maybe because he played um, offensive line or whatever, and like he felt us big guys more. But he was a, like a two players coach, and like he pre, like he he looked out for the guys. Not in a way that you would like, like take advantage of it, or not, not in a way to where, where like um, he's babying people here and there. He, he don't do that. Like I never see him baby anyone. I see him treat everyone with, with respect. And then basically, like the way you go about your job, go about your business, that's the way he's gonna treat you. And like basically, and that's the way it always been in all four years that I was there, and even up to this point now. His wife still reaches out to me and um, lets me know about the about the grandkids, about the brothers, about the sisters, about the great grandkids, about the nieces and nephews. And she like lets she sends she sends out like newsletters like um, often, and um, I'm, I'm on that list, so. I get to know what's going on in, in the Reed household and all the Reed households. Uh, before I let you go here, you played in a more physical era. In regards to hitting the quarterback, that was allowed in your in your day. You look at it now. Yeah. You look at some of the penalties. How hard is it for a defensive player? Because I'm always sitting here going, you're a perfect example. You're 6'5", 265, you're in a four four three. Again, that's why they called you the freak. I mean, that's just absurd. Yeah. They're just some very large <laughs> human beings. 
how are they supposed to try and slow down? How are they supposed to not put their body weight on the guy? Uh, I mean, how difficult is this for these defensive players? It's very difficult. And then um, I remember back when they started changing some of the rules, I ran into some of my former teammates who were still playing. Um, I played with uh, uh, William William Hayes. He came um, out of Winston-Salem State. But um, I played with him at um, in game, um, in Nashville with the Titans, and then he came down and played with the Dolphins. But I remember talking to him afterwards when they were making all those changes, and he actually ended up hurting his knee. I think he hurt his ACL or MCL because he was going after a quarterback and taking him down, and um, he was trying not to fall on top of him. And then after that, that same season, look, I think this may have been like around like maybe 2010, maybe 11 or 12. When they was making all those changes then, and then um, a bunch of injuries were happening to guys trying to avoid him, guys. Um, personally, um, I think they still look at each situation. Like, if you have some situations where things look intentional. Then you also have other situations where someone's just reacting and playing the game. I think each situation should be looked at separately. And then on top of that, on, on top of that, just, I don't know, um, you have some situations where, you know, you're trying to make a play down and get there or whatever. So maybe the team should figure this part out. Like, okay, we know you didn't mean to do that. Maybe the team could probably help a guy out depending on if he keeps getting fined and don't have the money to pay the fine. But on top of that, it's just, it's just a bunch of rule changes and they try to protect the, try to protect the offense and let the offense score points. It's offense, offense, offense. And so my defensive guys out there keep doing y'all thing, man, and keep keep playing full speed, keep reacting to how you react, and don't get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Huge three-time Pro Bowler Javon Curse. Huge shout-out to Johnsonville. Again, the official sausage of the SEC. Javon Curse, I got to say, man, I got to get out with you on the boards. You're not getting second next year. Come on, if you had me out there, we're getting no. first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I should have got for this past year, but this, but this next time I'm ready. I'm ready to run it back already. Run it back, part two. I appreciate your time, Javon. Really do appreciate it. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry. And as always, Nick Lowry is brought to you by El Bandito Yankee Tequila. Make sure you stop by your local Hy-Vee and pick up some of the best tequila out there on the market. So smooth, it's criminal. Nick, how are you? I'm great. Uh, it, it's really, I'm having, I'm sure you are too, having a lot of fun. I think it, it's sort of like a relationship uh, on a personal level, when you get to know somebody and with each year you get to know their patterns and, and why they have great qualities, hopefully you've got that kind of quality person in your life. Well, the Chiefs are that quality team. And here we have, you know, each year our challenges in terms of personnel. We will lose a coach like we've lost uh, Eric Bieniemy this year. We'll lose a couple players especially when you're winning championships and to watch the way, you know, this team learns the bottom line is the bottom line, which is a great organization, a great owner, a great coach. And then of course, a remarkable trio 
of leaders in Chris Jones, who's got his head in the game that people don't, I think, give him enough credit for being aware of situations as he's battling and wrestling and punching around with uh, whatever offensive lineman is fighting him. And then, of course, Travis Kelsey and the way he can recognize coverages and is almost on an ESP level with with Patrick Mahomes. It's, I mean, you watch that first half, and I don't know if I've ever seen a tight end more open, more dominant in a, in a given half. And Patrick had, what was he, 20 for 23, 321 yards and three touchdowns in the first half, including that funny little shovel pass where it was more like rugby pushing uh, Travis into the end zone. But I, I, for the life of me, and I'd love your opinion of this, Sterling, if you're scouting the Kansas City Chiefs, you know about Patrick Mahomes. The second guy you worry about on defense is always going to be Travis Kelsey. They didn't seem to have a clue about what to do about Travis. They didn't seem to have any special uh, strategy, uh, and he was wide open. He had, I think, five different 15-yard and plus receptions, right, yeah. to go with the 12 of 13 targets. At one point, he was 10 for 10 of targets. I mean, those are unheard of numbers. And it's not just talent physically. It is the ability to have a former high school quarterback who just knows how to read the coverages and in turn knows how Patrick will anticipate what he's going to anticipate. So he's open by a couple yards and can fit it in there. And then let's throw in the other thing. People don't talk about it enough. Maybe they do, but I don't think they do or give him credit enough. Travis Kelsey's hands. Yeah. I mean, I remember last year, because it stuck out so much, he dropped a key pass. But that's about it. I mean, I, I, I don't remember him dropping passes, and, and there are always people fighting for the ball. If you watched the Monday night game last night, you saw, you know, that collision uh, with a uh, former Kansas City Chief, I might say, where on one time he takes the ball and uh, Traverius Ward and takes the ball away from the receiver, then the second time the receiver takes it away from him. Those kinds of fights are happening to some degree on almost every play. So it's not just that you're catching the ball like you're playing cats. Let's face it. You are in a, a boxing match with a defensive back or the linebacker, whoever's covering you, and you've got to be able to not only catch it, but then they're going to try to punch it out. As our defensive backs, uh, whether it's Trent McDuffie or Legereus Sneed or Justin Reed or Mike Edwards, I mean, they are – gifted at punching it out so it is just to go back to my original theme it's just fun watching these guys grow as a team and by the way as a defense I mean we have not given up more than 22 points in any game the entire year and it wasn't like Justin Herbert was doing that badly especially you know the first half we shut them down boom in the second half Shut him out. Were, were, were you nervous at all when all of a sudden the offense for Kansas City was humming, which we'll touch on more a little bit later, but all of a sudden the defense reverted back to the 2018 defense. Part of me was sitting here going, oh, no, we can't have it both ways, can we? Finally, the offense is picking things up, but the defense reverts back. Well, the defense that shut the Chargers out in the second half. Was part of you nervous at all? that All of a sudden, the defense that has been so great for six games just may have been too good to be true. No, not really. Um, 
I, getting back to what I was saying, you get to know that in that relationship, certain patterns. One pattern is that we play teams close. We always play San Diego close. That was the closest 31-17 score you could probably ever see, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was closer than 31-17, but then we have a great play by Isaiah Pacheco, who really didn't dominate in the running game. I think he had 25 yards and 12 carries or something like that. Um, but he made a key play, and everybody – that is the difference, right? We do have our stars, but we also have every single player making a key play. You know, McCall Hardman, six-yard um, third-down catch, and the next play we score that touchdown. I mean, you know, those those characteristics. Kadarius Tony, he's going to have to step up because now that McCall's back, he may not be, you know, on the punt returns. You know, by the way, McCall's 50-yard punt return was pretty darn important Huge. as well. So, yeah. you know, Kadarius Tony has had some big games where he's contributed, especially in the Super Bowl. But everybody seems to, you know, contribute, and that's another tribute, so to speak, to Patrick Mahomes being able to grow and evolve and mature to be able to see the field and do the post Tariq Hill factor which is you know instead of one ridiculously dominant receiver along with Travis Kelsey now it's five and six and seven receivers and ten receivers every game and it's pretty hard to defense against that yeah I mean you look at what Mahomes did we'll get to those numbers in just one moment but he hit ten different receivers ten different or ten different players I should say had a reception six had multiple receptions he was spreading the ball out Mahomes 32 of 42 424 yards four touchdowns that one interception that was more or more or less a third and long it was a hey it, it's an arm punt if you will you know if it gets picked off it gets picked off but we're going to try and make something happen here how impressive was Mahomes in this game, and is this the catalyst for him going forward? We've talked about, you know, he looks a little off this year. There's just something that's not quite clicking compared to previous seasons. This one looked like a vintage Patrick Mahomes performance. Is this the catalyst for him going forward? Well, let me say first off that um, that punt, that's the one thing that he can uh, get even better at, which, you know, he had a couple – um, passes in the past years where, uh, and in, in a couple games this year where, you know, he was almost lackadaisical mentally. This time, that interception was not lackadaisical, but it was not recognizing that he's got a pass rusher in his face and he couldn't properly follow through. And I remember Bill Kel Ken Kenny, you know, breaking his finger or stubbing his finger on the follow through. It happens to a lot of quarterbacks against that pass rusher. And so it sort of Semi stuffs the throw, so instead of being five yards farther where it would have been caught or certainly not intercepted, it's intercepted. And being able to recognize that, it's easy for me to say it's all happening in a split second. But Patrick Mahomes um, had his best game of the year. Travis had his best game of the year. And if I'm Denver, um, I better have three guys on Travis. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And what's going to be fun about that this this coming weekend is when they put, <laughs> you know. They put the entire defense on Travis. Um, you know, is it going to be Rasheed Rice, who had a, a very good game, six receptions um, for 64 yards, a big touchdown? Uh, he seems to be maturing. He, he's learning how to find, like Travis, by the way, that soft spot in the zone. Um, and then um, Marvez uh, Scanling, uh, he had a pretty good game as well. So each game we have – people step up and by the way let's shift to the defense as well yes um i patrick's just maturing 
Um, let's pray that he and, and Travis stay healthy because we saw in the first game how important Travis was to both of them uh, and to the team. But let's talk a little bit about Charles Amenehue. I mean, here's a guy who um, I watched his press conference afterwards, and, you know, he just felt so relieved and, and really appreciated the way the Chiefs supported him, uh, you know, when he was out for six games. And he came back, had a big sack. He said it was the biggest sack of his career. And think about what that does as he gets to know Chris Jones, taking that little bit of pressure and adding that little bit of pressure to, uh, you know, the offensive lines and quarterbacks that already are facing, you know, a good pass rush with George Karloftis and company. Um, so I want to give some credit and some focus on Charles Amenehue and what that's probably going to do to add even more efficiency. And you know where it's going to show it? It's going to show it not just in, in pressures, but what happens when you're pressured? You throw the ball early, you throw it before you're ready, and you get turnovers. Chief so watch our turnover ratio go up in the next six games. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. And, and you mentioned it right there, actually, with, with Charles. He had that pass defense that actually turned into an interception. It, what he does, putting those big hands above his head to knock the ball up, allowed the Chiefs to pick the ball off. I mean, it is huge. He yep. was so impactful in that game in all facets of it, and the versatility he brings to play inside and outside opens things up, uh, not just for Chris Jones, but it opened it up for Mike Dana. It opens it up for George Karloff, just two other guys who had sacks in that game. Drew Tranquil had a sack as well, playing against his former team, the Chargers. I mean, this Chiefs defense looks like they are peaking right now. And I don't want to say peaking early, but it looks like they're really playing well together. Charles Aminahu is almost a trade deadline acquisition, if you will, because he missed those first six games. So now he is the guy you bring back into the fold. I am just so elated to see Mahomes and this Chiefs team, this organization, finally have a good defense in the Mahomes era. You brought up Rasheed Rice a little bit earlier, and I want to bring this up to you because we have not seen many rookies have immediate success in an Andy Reid system. What have you seen from him that really separates him from some of the previous rookies that have been here in Kansas City? Well, uh, first of all, you've got a quarterback that is continuing to throw to him. And, and secondly, what I just mentioned, which is the ability of the receiver, whether it's Travis or one of the wide receivers, to recognize a soft spot in the zone and break down. And then secondly, to be on the same page with Patrick, because he's looking at number one, number two, number three, number four. He gets to those different receivers. By the way, I compare it as such a stark contrast with Kyler Murray, who got that huge contract, but I rarely see him get past the first two, uh, sometimes not even the first receiver, before he breaks down and runs. Uh, there's another thing, by the way, with Patrick is he had four runs, key first downs, crushing first downs that just take the spirit out of the defense. But Rasheed Rice is, I think, just – quietly, consistently. Uh, he's had a couple drops here and there, but everybody does here and there. They're human. But I think he's just finding himself and maturing as a receiver as he gets to know the system. And he's got that physicality. I mean, when you look at the stats he had last year, just ridiculous in college. And there are so many expectations. You sign the big number one uh, draft pick contract, and uh, you've seen a lot of players press too hard. Well, he's finding his way. I, don't, I frankly don't want us to peak uh, at this point. I simply want us to keep getting a little better here and there 
and doing the thing we do better than any team in the National Football League, which is find a way to win, no matter how it is, no matter how ugly it is, no matter how, how inconsistent it is, finding a way to make the key plays when they matter. That is what a champion does. You mentioned the ability of Rasheed Rice to find the soft spot in the zone a la Travis Kelsey, but again, that is huge, and that's something that typically you don't see from young wide receivers, especially rookies. Uh, Just the other night, you know, on Monday Night Football, uh, Alexander Madison had an opportunity to find the soft spot in the the red zone, and what did he do? He shifted. He swayed too far over and was able to make uh, the defender come into play. Kirk Cousins couldn't make the throw there. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster thrived in finding the soft spots in the zone and Rasheed Rice though has the athleticism and the physicality to be both good against man as well as zone it is very impressive we are seeing this so early on in his young career again Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker Nick Lowry is our guest right here Sports Radio 810 WHB let's take a look ahead here at the Broncos the Chiefs facing the Broncos two times in the in three weeks how hard is this for a team to beat a team two times in three weeks it's hard it's hard because the emotion is there, the emotion that these guys made us look bad last week or two weeks ago. You know, it's right there. And you're playing in Denver. You've got altitude, mile-high mile altitude. Um, and, you know, they're looking at 16 straight losses. And we better not be looking at 16 straight wins because you can never, ever the, – the, the sign of a great team is never taking anything for granted. Why Tom Brady – Bill Belichick were or are as great as they have been is because <laughs> when they're asked after a game, you know, how they did, they don't talk, so, you know, they talk for one sentence about how well they played and then boom, well, we got to correct this. We got to get ready for the next one. And that humility is what you got to have staying hungry and humble. That's what this team has in its core leadership from Patrick and everyone. And by the way, I'm I don't know him well. I know that he had some things to overcome. But uh, I think you also draw, you know, when you're in a – going back to that idea of a relationship, when you're in the right relationship, people bring out qualities in you. When you have the right coach who sees you as an individual, uh, and that also goes for Spagnola, you know, the guys that see you and know what buttons to push and what motivates you, and most importantly, never taking things for granted, being confident but not being cocky. That's the beautiful thing about this team and uh, that's how you fall in love with them, right? Yeah. You fall in love, love with them because they, they don't get too high on themselves. Yeah. When we look forward at this Broncos-Chiefs game, who are you looking at for your El Bendito Yankee Tequila player of the game? You've been nails this year. You've picked some really good ones. I think you actually even had Marquez Valdez-Scantling last week. And what's he do? He has that 47-yard touchdown. Who are you looking at this week for your El Bendito Yankee Tequila player of the game? I'm going to go with Charles Amenehu. Uh, I think he needed, uh, you know, I mean, he didn't have a preseason. He watched for six weeks. He had to practice separately, I think, most of that time, right? So, you know, it takes a little while to get into that rhythm with the people on either side of you. Uh, So I'm going to look for him to have um, two sacks this week. And, um, you know, have you also noticed in NFL games in general, but also our defense, jumping up and blocking passes at a higher rate than I remember. Yeah. That is huge. I mean, that, that creates so much panic on the part of the quarterback. You can't be confident, might have to jump a little bit, has to throw at a higher level, you know, bigger arc on the ball. Um, so those are little things I'm noticing that we're doing better this year than in the past. Um, so I'm going to go with Charles Amenehu, blocking passes, putting extra pressure. I think he has a 23.5% uh, pressure rate. 
and add that when you've got Chris Jones, who I said earlier, you know, it's not just his physicality. He's a big guy. He's agile, but he's incredibly strong against a 330-pound lineman. He can still throw them around, but he's also aware. He sees the field as he's in that battle. And then you've got a guy now, a new guy next to him that can put that added pressure it's going to cause hesitation and inconsistency on the other side. So it's going to be fun to watch, and I'm going to put my El Bandito mark <laughs> of excellence on Charles Amenehue against the Broncos this week. Uh, I'm going to have to say a, and take a basketball moniker here. Russell Wilson's going to have to fake a pass, then make a pass, because he's not the biggest dude. He was getting the ball knocked, do- do- uh, lock- wow, knocked down a lot a couple of weeks ago against Kansas City. Well, now you add in Charles, a, a lot more arms getting thrown up there. Fake a pass, then make a pass if you're Russell Wilson. All right, Nick Lowry, score prediction. What do you have? I'm going to go with uh, Chiefs 31, and actually, yeah, 34. Chiefs 34 and Denver 20. I, I think, you know, once again, um, let's give Spagnola credit. Look what he did at the adjustments at halftime. I think it will be somewhat close at halftime, and then we're going to make a couple plays because we'll notice, and our great coaching staff will make those adjustments. So I'm going to go with 34 to 20 in Denver, but you just never know. And that right there, everyone is an El Bendito Yankee tequila victory right there. Make sure you go out to Hy-Vee, pick up some El Bendito Yankee tequila, the best tequila out there on the market. It is so freaking good. Even if you do not like tequila, trust me, I am not a tequila guy. I had it, and it is phenomenal. Go get El Bendito Yankee tequila at your local Hy-Vee. Chiefs Hall of Fame kicker, Nick Lowry. Nick, always a pleasure. Thanks, brother. You're the best. Go Chiefs. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB.